Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to welcome you. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Banner Church. And uh, if you're new here, you're joining us in the middle of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, which is really an incredible season. How many of you have... Oh, thank you so much. How many of you guys have just been seeking the Lord in this season? It's really a unique season, right? I want to encourage you, uh, if, you've, if you're brand new and you've not heard about this, we have some great resources, and this is our last week, but it's an awesome time to jump in. But I also want to encourage you, those who have experienced the inconvenience of fasting and have maybe um, stopped fasting or you feel a little guilty, I'm even saying fasting, you never started, or you pick something that wasn't really fasting, but you just like wanted to be with everyone. Um, I really want to encourage you that fasting is something special to engage with, and it will always be obnoxiously inconvenient, and that's a good thing because we have spiritual disciplines of which fasting is one of them because they prepare us for revival. Here's what I mean. Fasting, you know, as you fast, there's some days in which you hate fasting, right? Fasting is inconvenient, or there's days you forget you're fasting, or you pretend you forget you're fasting. Come on, let's be honest together. I've done all those things in the 21 days. I'm the pastor of this church, right? So, as we're going, there's things where we fail, or there's, there, there's I mean, it's not really fail, but there's things where we, we feel frustrated or we give up, and we have to make that choice again to pursue the nearness of God, again to be inconvenienced, again to have it affect our calendar. Why does this matter? Because when we truly pursue revival, we pursue something that will be profoundly inconvenient in a Western context. Did you know that? When we say revival, we're not asking for something easy. We're not asking for something that fits nicely into your schedule. If Banner Church truly sees revival, it will devastate your schedule for the things of God. It will radically inconvenience the Western context of how you view what God wants to do. It will bring things into your schedule. It will bring people into your home. It will bring you into places of prayer. If you think, you know, waiting on God is hard, wait till revival comes when that's all we do is, is just tarry and to stay in that place with God. And you're like, well, then why would we want revival? Because revival is us exchanging the blase, mundane, nature of the broken world for the greatness of God manifest in his power and his authority on this earth. We want to see God move. And so fasting trains us because it, it makes us ask the question, am I really ready for revival or do I just like the t-shirts that say revival? Is it just a nice word revival or am I ready to be inconvenienced for revival? Fasting prepares you, because if you're not prepared to be inconvenienced, you don't actually want revival. You just want a more exciting church. But what if revival doesn't seem more exciting? What if it's more waiting on God? What if it's more stillness? What if it's more quiet? What if it's less hype? What if it's stinkier people in your home, and less order, and less relaxation? What if it's less rest and more mission? What if it's all of those things? What if it's the things that cause you anxiety to reach out and stretch out? What if it is those things? How do we prepare? We prepare through prayer and fasting and worship. It makes a way for us. It begins to teach us as we practice the way of Jesus. Why am I saying all this? This isn't even my sermon. I'm saying this because I want to encourage you that 
Being frustrated, failing, missing, forgetting are all a normal part of spiritual disciplines. So if you've experienced that, it's not because you're abnormal or on the outside of the experience. Like everyone over here is fasting perfectly and then there's you. But that together we are learning how to prepare our hearts for revival and we're all having those same experiences. So this last week, can I just encourage you? Take a moment to inconvenience your life in a way that forces you more than ever to pursue the more of God and in pursuing the more of God, discover the greatness of his glory manifest here as it is in heaven. Are you with me? You're like, I've never fasted anything. Can I just encourage you? Take one meal this week during the day and just say, you know what, instead, I'm going to sit down with the word. I'm going to open it up and say, God, would you just begin to speak to me? I'm going to read your word and be guided by your spirit. I guarantee you it's going to prepare your heart for something great. Just because you haven't been with us doesn't mean you can't roll with us now. And if you were with us and then you felt guilty because it was like day two, it, maybe the thing you were fasting wasn't the right thing. It's okay to evaluate. You're like, I was giving up all food for 21 days. Like maybe you should have just like not done breakfast. <laughs> and that's okay. No one's going to judge you. This is about what, the, what God's leading. But I really believe <clears throat> that he's guiding and directing his church into something good this morning and good this week. I want to pray over you. We're going to jump into the word of God. We're going to be uh, in 1 Samuel 18 today as we continue our David series. But would you just pray with me this morning? I know we've been praying a lot, but I just want to pray something very specific over you. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that the spirit reveals the truth of the word. And we have recognized together as a congregation that your spirit is here. So we know that the truth is being revealed. I pray as the truth is revealed that our hearts would be softened to it. That whatever you want to do in our life, that you would do it. God, so that we would leave not just informed, but transformed by your spirit and your name. All God's people said, amen. amen. I want to tell you a story this morning as we begin. Some of you might know this story. This might be dating myself a little bit, but I want to tell you a, a, a story that starts on a hot July day in Atlanta, Georgia. On that day, thousands were gathered in the Centennial Olympic Park for a concert. And as Olympic celebrations were in full swing, a security guard noticed a lone green backpack. That security guard went and, and he alerted the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And he began to, with the help of his fellow security officers, began to evacuate thousands of people that were gathered for a celebration concert in the Olympic uh, Park. Three minutes later, the bomb detonated, killing one person and injuring 111. And it was noted that if it wasn't for the actions of that security guard, hundreds of people, if not thousands, would have died. That security guard's name was Richard Jewell, and you guys might have heard of Richard Jewell. At first, Richard was celebrated as a hero, right? I mean, he evacuated all of those people. He, he noticed it. He brought it up. People, you know, were able to get away, and even though there was loss, profoundly decreased from what it could have been. So Richard was a hero. But then the FBI named Richard as a potential, important word, suspect. Because he was kind of a loner and he was a little odd. And so they said he fit the personality profile of somebody who would do this. 
And so for 88 days, Richard was the suspect and he was tried in the court of the media. This is one of the first examples we have in modern media of someone whose life was literally, we have tons of examples now, this generation, Gen Z, you're like, wait, this happens every day. He was one of the first people that was really ripped apart in the media because he was suspected of doing something. Literally to the point that his home was under siege by so much media that he couldn't leave his own house. The Atlanta Journal published this headline, FBI suspects hero guard may have planted the bomb. Can you imagine that? One minute, you're a hero, right? You save hundreds of people's lives, and the next minute, you are the villain of your city. One minute, everyone's praising you, everyone's celebrating you, everyone's rejoicing for you, and the next minute, literally, people want to kill you. Eventually, just so you know, he's exonerated, they caught the real bomber, and eventually he sued the newspaper, as I think more people should do. But not until a huge portion of his life was taken. And you might not have experienced something this severe. If you have, I'd, I'd love to hear that story. But you've probably experienced how quickly people's love and affection can turn on you, right? Yeah. One minute, you're the friend who's praised for their loyalty, and another minute, you're getting stabbed in the back. Right? One minute, you're beloved by your coworkers for your strong convictions, and the next minute, your coworkers don't like you because you now have a conviction they don't like. One minute, they love you because you preach what people need to hear, and the next minute, they hate you because they were the people who needed to hear it. I'm just picking random examples, guys. <laughs> <laughs> any myriad of those things we've experienced. Where one minute we feel close to someone, the next minute we're the enemy. One minute we feel like we have friends, the next minute we feel surrounded. One minute we feel connected in, we feel like people are rooting for us, the next minute it feels like things turn. It could be in your family, in your workplace, in your school. We've all experienced this. Have you guys experienced this before? And all of a sudden things begin to change and you feel surrounded. You feel unwanted. You feel discouraged and frustrated. You feel unheard. And it's like, how did we get to this point? And the question is this morning that I want to look at is, what do we do when the love of others fail? When people go from cheering us to attacking us? What do we do when we're surrounded by enemies? We're surrounded by falsehoods. We're surrounded by attacks. We're surrounded by lies. We're surrounded by disdain. I believe for many of us, that's probably a bigger part of our life than we like to admit, especially as the world begins to divorce itself even farther from the truth, as the world begins to sprint even farther from reality, as the topics that you used to be able to kind of just casually pass over are thrust to the forefront of the reality. And church, listen, we're not moving, we're not budging on biblical truth if you're a true believer in God. So as the world begins to encroach into the space of biblical truth and, become, and begins to violate it and then wants you to affirm that violation, it's not like you're running at them with it, right? There will be conflict. People who loved you will hate you. Does anyone have anyone like this in their life? Like we were all good till we disagreed on killing babies. 
gets difficult. But it's a reality. David experienced something really similar. David slays Goliath, right? He's the hero of the people. But then a few chapters later, he's literally sprinting out of his house in some kind of like Pink Panther-esque scenario of disguises. But I want to jump there. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you've got your Bible, jump there. If not, the words will be on the screen. Everyone loves David. He's a, <laughs> he's a hero. And then look what happens. 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, who was the Philistine? What was his name? Goliath. The woman, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and musical instruments. And then they did this very clever thing. I think it's called gossip, but you decide. The women sang to one another, as, so they sang about Saul, but they sang to each other as they celebrated Saul has struck down thousands and David his tens of thousands. Turns out that tune was a little loud because it says, verse 8, Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David tens of thousands and to me they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. Now that, that scripture right there, harmful spirit of God, is one that's talked about a lot. What is that? Is God oppressing? Is God putting a spirit of conviction? Is this a demonic power? And there's lots of thoughts about that. But what we know is that the anointing of God is left and that, that something is happening supernaturally. There's an oppression coming upon Saul that, that is in his rage and in his anger that he's allowing things in that are moving counter to the heart of God. We can talk more about that another time, but it's not the point of this sermon. It says, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand, which is a wild thing to carry around your house. It says, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, which is a poetic say way of saying murder. But David evaded him twice. Okay. He's coming home the hero. He's the only reason they're not slaves to the Philistines. Obviously, God is the reason, but his, his action, so to speak. And Saul is furious. Saul tries to kill him. He doesn't get him with the spear. He doesn't get him a second time with the spear, so Saul gets an idea. And Saul says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Now, I, I didn't get him with the spear. I'm going to send him to the front lines of battle, and I'm going to let the Philistines do my, my dirty work. And so Saul puts him over hundreds, but when David goes out to fight, he keeps winning. And people like that more. Everyone likes a winner, right? Right? There's a reason if you win the Super Bowl, you sell more jerseys. People are like, oh, yeah, I've always been a Jacksonville. I mean, I'm just picking a team that's never going to win. Jacksonville ja Jaguars fan. It's like, oh, sure you have, right? Same thing King David, right? Or David, he's not King David yet. He keeps winning. People are excited. He puts them over more people. He keeps winning. People love it. And so Saul says, okay, I can't do that. So instead, I'm going to give him my daughter, Michal because she really loves David. David's very handsome. He's very successful. He's a musician. I mean, that's a pretty, he's got a, like a steady job and he plays guitar. That's a win, right? <laughs> and so he gives David McCall as the wife. And here's what it says. Let's jump to verse 21. First Samuel 18, verse 21. So Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare. Somebody say snare. 
a snare for him, and that the hands of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. He tried it with another girl. David said no. He tried it again. David said yes. And the word here is Saul wants to give Michal to David because she can be a snare. This word is only used three times in the Torah, the five books of the law in the Old Testament, only used three times. Every time this word is used, it is used to describe idol worship. Idol worship. So there, it's not just a snare. It's like it, her cooking is going to make him fat, right? There's a very specific purpose that Saul is giving the call to David. Because one, she's the king's daughter. You can't tell her no. And two, because he knows that idol worship in the home will begin to erode spiritual health, right? Everybody knows this. I don't care if we can see what idol you're hiding. We can know by the health of your spirituality because idol worship erodes spirituality. And there were simple things like they would pray to, sometimes it was big things, Molech and sacrificing babies over fire, but sometimes it was small things, home gods that would worship like the seasons or worship the need for grain. And so there were different idols that they would have in their home. So he says, listen, I'm going to get him with idol worship. But over and over, so follow me here, over and over, Saul is trying to undercut David, trying to seek his destruction, trying to hurt him, and eventually it comes to a, a, a breaking point. And this is the, the general thrust of our scripture here is in 1 Samuel verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 8. It says this, there was war again, David went out and he fought with the Philistines and he struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. So another W for David. It says, Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, this is an abusive relationship, right? Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. That's the final straw. David's like, listen, you can only try to murder me with the spear three times. Fooled me thrice. <laughs> Shame on me, right? And he says, I'm out. So here's what it says, verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So McCall let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. McCall took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. We, we don't really know David's role of this idol, but I find this fascinating, that in David's house was an idol so big that it could pass for a, hu a grown man. That's not small, right? It's not like... Uh, have you seen Major League, right? It's not just like a little one sitting in the locker, right? Yeah, Jobu. This is, a gr this is enough that they covered it with goat's hair, and someone's like, that's a person, right? That's sizable. I mean, what are we talking here, right? I don't know. They were a little shorter than, I don't know. Like, what are we talking here? I don't sizable, right? Maybe you had him curled up. I don't know what the idol looked like. But this, this is an important detail that we'll talk about later in our series because it explains later why McCall is so mad at David for worshiping freely. There's a principle in scripture that people with hidden idols always detest passionate worshipers. 
It is offensive to them that someone could be sold out for the one true God. Often when there's bitterness in worship, it comes from hidden idols. And we know that in the home, and we know that the purpose was to establish idols that were not God. So verse 14 says, when Saul sent messengers to take David, she, McCall said, he's sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. Literally pick up his bed if he's sick, bring him here. I want to murder him in the bed. I'm not sure why that matters. If he's sick, just go in and murder him. But Saul had a very, he wanted to really get his hands in there and murder him. It says, when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to McCall, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so he's escaped? McCall answered, Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and lived at, at Nioth. Okay, so this is a wild moment. Here's David, who just a little while ago came in as the hero. He's being celebrated, his military success, and now he's going to be pursued. And one of the things he's going to be pursued for is threatening to murder the daughter of the king, which is a criminal offense, which again, much different set of human rights back then, right? I know we love to judge everything by our Western set of human rights. Much different set. This dude's getting murdered on the spot, right? Are you still with me? So David goes from being this successful, good-looking, well-loved, married to a beautiful woman, to literally being a fugitive on the run from the government that wants to kill him. That is a wild gap and separation. Literally, men are coming to his house at night, sitting and waiting so that they can murder him in the morning. Are you with me? Can you imagine that scenario? It's like, man, things are going really well at work, right? And you're like, who's outside? Is that Gary with an AR? <laughs> what is he doing? Okay, he didn't fill in your expense reports, and now Saul sent us. But not tonight. We're going to get you in the morning, right? That's a jump. That's extreme. He's on the run. I've never been on the run from the government, but I imagine even today, difficult. You're a hero one moment. You're a fugitive the next. You're surrounded by assassins. The people who loved you have turned on you. Where were his friends? Who, why wasn't anyone standing up for them? You ever been falsely accused of something? And you're like, why isn't anybody else saying anything? You were also there, right? It's like people just, they just faded into the background. I'm the only one who's had that experience, right? Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah, okay, there we go. Just making sure we know when people stink right? Come on. You thought they were going to have your back and they turn on you? They're like, oh man, yeah, we're here. We're really, really, we love that. I mean, maybe as a pastor, I just experienced a lot of this. I don't know. <laughs> all about it, all for it. But the craziest things happen. People are like, yeah, man, we're, we're like family. And it's like six months later, I got to block them from my phone and get a restraining order. It's like, if you ever come around my family again, we're going to throw hands, right? You can try Jesus, but don't try me, right? <laughs> David's experience is this. So in his home, while surrounded by assassins, David does the thing that uh, I wouldn't think to do, but I think it's really profound, is that he writes a psalm. 
David was a psalmist, so he's surrounded by assassins in his home, and he writes a psalm. For us, that would be like a song, a set of worship and praise. This is what he writes. I want to read it to you. We're going to go through it. It's not going to be on the screen right now. I just, I want to read it to you and hear this. Remember that he is in his house, and there are men outside who he knows are coming to kill him. There's not glass. They can hear them talking, right? They're outside. He knows that they want to kill him, and inside... He is writing worship to the Lord. Pretty profound, right? Here's what he writes. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. This would really pop off as an elevation song. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Salah, which is a peace, it's a rest. It says, each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords on their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, you laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I'll watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. My God will let me look in the triumph or in triumph on my enemies. I love verse 11. Kill them not, lest my people forget. But make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. He's saying, humble them. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they, will, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling the city. They wander about for food and growl if they don't get their fill. But... This last part. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will praise to you. For you, oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. That's a powerful thing to write, correct? You're in your home surrounded, prowling like dogs. You've gone from hero to villain. And here he is praising the Lord. It's really profound. There's something about the way David faces adversity. There's something about the way David faces when the love of man has failed. There's three things I think that are so profound in this that we can learn. If you're feeling today distressed, exhausted, frustrated, abandoned, you've got some things in your past where you feel like they keep coming up and nagging, people are coming against you. Maybe you feel like in your work right now, you, you're, you're under attack. Maybe you feel like in your school, you're under attack, whatever it might be. I, I feel like we can be encouraged from David and the word of God by, by three things real quick. First thing is this, David believed prayer was sufficient. David believed that prayer was sufficient. David begins Psalm 59 with prayer. The marker of David's life was that he truly believed that prayer was sufficient. He was fully aware of the forces against him, right? 
If there's people outside your house that you hear saying, we're going to kill this dude in the morning, you're fully aware, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm fully aware with the Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah. And we would we'd be friends. About to, make, about to make the neighborhood fully aware. But he was fully aware. But he believed that prayer, listen to me, he believed that prayer was a sufficient response to what was coming against him. Look at verse 1 if you're in Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me. That was David's prayer. God deliver, God protect, God save, God arise to help. See, often we make prayer the last response. It's like, anything I can do to help you? Uh, no, I think, okay. Yeah, well, I'll pray then. Is prayer not sufficient, church? I think often the reason the world doesn't believe us that Jesus is enough is because we make prayer so secondary to the ways of man, as if he's a backup plan to human suffering. But the prayers of a righteous man are sufficient. They're good. Prayer is a sufficient response. It's more than enough for whatever we face. And it doesn't need to be complicated. I know David's a psalmist, but how many of you have prayed the prayer, uh, God save me, or God I messed up, help. Full stop, right? There was no like, and woe to be the glories of man that cometh with the sunrise and shine on my face for lo. I, it's like, oh my goodness, Lord help. And that's like 90% of my prayers, right? It's like, God, I'm an idiot. If you don't help me, really bad times now. Thank you. Uh, then the Holy Spirit intercedes for my groaning, right? That's real. Some of my prayers, I got, you can read you know, whatever prayers you want, but the reality is that prayer is sufficient. It doesn't matter what you pray. You could pray the Lord's Prayer. You could pray a prayer from history. Some of you have grown up with the tradition of great prayers from church history. Pray it. Some of you are like, I just pray the Lord's Prayer in the King James because that's the only Bible I'll read. Fine, I don't care. Pray it. Some of you are like, I just cry. Like, great, fine. Some of you are like, I don't even know what to say. Perfect, start with that. Some of you are like, I pray in the Spirit because I've been baptized and I walk out the gifting. Amen, let's go. Pray in the Spirit. They're all acceptable and sufficient offerings to God because prayer is sufficient. Can I just encourage you? Pray first. Pray often. Pray confidently because prayer is sufficient. Second thing, David strengthened his faith. When things started falling apart, David did not take that as a reflection of God's position to him, but David took it as an opportunity to build his faith. Look at verse 6 of Psalm 59. Each evening, he said, they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. It says, there they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you, O Lord, you laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. Oh, my strength, verse 9, I love this. I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. I love this. David is looking out from his home, and he's seeing these assassins around his house. And rather than being afraid, he's looking, not in fear, but to say, God, I'm looking for what you're going to do, because I know you, and I know that you're not a fan of evil, and I know that you put promises on my life. So I'm not looking at like, God, where are you? I'm like, God, show me. I want to see what you do, because it's going to be awesome. That's a totally different outlook, right? 
As we look out on our troubles, what is our outlook? Is it, God, I can't believe you'd bring these assassins to my door? Or is it, God, listen, I know you got good things. I know you're mighty and powerful. I know you're good at just smoking evil people. What are you going to do right now? God, how did you let this happen in our nation? Instead, it's like, God, listen, we're going to raise up a mighty generation of believers who are going to stand firm to the principles of what you, I'm just looking out at what you're going to do. I'm looking out at the generation that you're going to raise up. I'm looking at what you're, how you're moving in miracles. I'm looking at what you're going to do because in the times that are frustrating, I'm not going to say, God, I just, this feels like an attack on my faith and it feels like you're coming against, it feels like you've abandoned me. I'm going to say instead, God, I'm confident. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David looks out his window at men who were sent to kill him and has the absolute stones to say, okay, God, show me what you're going to do to these dudes right? I can't do it, but I'm looking. I'm looking out. He's peeking. I get a picture of him just like looking out like, okay, God, I've seen you do some crazy stuff. Let's go. Show me. Show me what it is. Show me what you're, that's confidence. Man, maybe you feel like you've been surrounded, right? Maybe some of you are just looking at your finances like, okay, God, (laughs) show me, (laughs) right? Instead of being like, oh, God, why have you been? You're just like, okay, God. Okay, you said tithe. You said it's a biblical principle. That's 10% of my income, God. Okay. I'm walking in principle. Show me, because I trust you. Not like, show me, you better prove to me. Walk in principle, but like, show me. What can you do? What are you going to do? Man, it's time to build that faith, church. It's time to build that faith. It's time to declare, man, there's going to be victory here in my life declaring faith. It's not name it, claim it. It's not fake it till you make it. It's declaring according to the word of God what's true in his principles, which is God is good. God makes a way. God is a healer. God is a restorer. And you begin to declare that, the truth of the word of God, over your life. He strengthened his faith. How many of you are ready to strengthen your faith in the Lord today? Yes. Like 2023 was a testing of your faith season? And now you have a choice in 2024. How am I going to respond? Like, God, I hope I don't have another 2023. Or God, it's 2024. Show me what you're going to do. I wait for you because I know you. And I know, I know what you can do. Okay, third and final thing, band. You guys can come up. David held fast to the Lord as his fortress. How did David overcome all that he was facing as someone who went from hero to villain right? National hero to fugitive, beloved by all, hated by most. He held fast to the Lord as his fortress. Let me explain this for a second. David often uses the term fortress. I love that word because fortresses are a place of refuge, of security, and of strength. David truly saw God as his fortress. When all else failed, God was secure. God was unchanging. That's an important perspective. Are you with me this morning? Because sometimes we assume because all else fails, God has abandoned us. We assume because there's difficulty in the natural, God has forsaken us. 
But there's a different perspective where we say, God, I'm facing difficulty in the world, so I will run to you and lean on you and abide in you as my place of refuge and security and strength. That in the fortress of the Almighty God, in the fortress of Yahweh, that I'll find refuge, I'll find rest, and I'll find deliverance. Look at Psalm 59, 16. It says, but I'll sing of your strength. That's how he ends the psalm. Mind you, he's about to be let down the window to run away from everything he knows. Right? To go back to the desert, except this time he doesn't even have sheep with him. He's just fleeing with what he has. And the last thing he writes as he prepares to flee into the wilderness is, I will sing of your strength. How many of you would be worshiping in this scenario? I don't know. Gillian probably would. The rest of us, we're not as spiritual. <laughs> right? That's a powerful thing. I'll sing of your strength. Well, wait a second. How can you sing of his strength? He's not using his strength to defeat your enemies, David. There's still enemies coming against you. How could you sing of his strength? Because it's part of his character. And my situation doesn't define his character. He said, I'll sing of your steadfast love in the morning. How could you sing of that, David? They said they're going to come kill you in the morning. You're really going to sing of love in the morning? You should be saving your breath for fleeing. What does he say? For you've been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. And he says, oh, my strength. Look at that capital S. You have your Bible capital S. He's calling God his strength. Oh, my strength, I'll sing praises to you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. You're the God who shows me steadfast love. The love of man might fail. And it often does. None of us are perfect in loving others. But when mankind's love fails, God's love never fails. Malachi, God says to his people, I, the Lord, I do not change. If God's perfect, if he was perfect at the beginning of creation, if his grace was sufficient to save us, if his love was pure and perfect to defeat death, hell, the grave, and sin, and if his affection for us was even more so on the cross, and if he does not change, then his love is still enough, his affection is still for us, and his grace is still sufficient. The same God who's a fortress for David, the same God whose love is a place like the wings of a mother bird that he could come under and find refuge and security and warmth. That God is still the same God today, right here in this junior high school. He has not changed. He has not altered. He has not faltered. He has not failed. Every day, the same. And that same God, His Spirit resides within you if you're a believer. So when you leave these walls and you leave hearing these words that you can agree with and you go into a world surrounded by words that are not going to encourage you, you can still stand upon the Word and the Spirit because if He was the same then, He's the same now, and He'll be the same forever. It's great to run to God as a place of resource, but it's so much richer when we run to Him as our fortress, 
as our place of refuge. How much richer is the treasure of his love that we find contained in the walls of the fortress of the almighty God that is truly our resting place, that is truly our refuge. We rest in a love that never fails. And church, I wanna encourage you, if you feel surrounded, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel outside, even from church, if you feel lost, if you carry wounds from others, if the love of other people has, even, even people who are very, very near to you, if it's let you down, then hear the song of David and hear the song of Jesus Christ that says, come. He's a refuge. His love will never fail you. Some of you, to even come near to him, that's going to take a healing work on your heart because you said, I've trusted others. The, the idea of then trusting God as refuge is very scary to me. I've had to be on my own when it comes to establishing the security of myself. But I just want to encourage you that healing work is done by the Spirit and it's done here today because the Spirit is here. And I want to invite you into the fortress of God's unchanging love. Be secured. Find rest. Be refreshed. Be made whole. That you can look out even amidst your trials and say, God will bring a victory. I trust you, Lord, as my refuge. You hear my prayers. You answer my prayers. And I walk with you. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? As you do, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Two things this morning for you. The very first thing is just a response to the love of Jesus. So if you'd bow your heads, there's a lot of people, way people do this response, but I really clearly want to make sure this is a choice between you and the Father. This is not anyone around you. This is not being influenced necessarily by the moment, but this is you recognizing that you need the love of Jesus. If you're here today and you have never experienced the love of Jesus Christ, that not only secures you for now, but secures you for an eternity. And maybe you've even been, been coming to Banner many times, but you've never said, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. You, you, you have not made that choice. But today, the Lord has been speaking to you. You've been feeling a stirring in your heart. And you would say, I need you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I want to experience the greatness and richness of your love, not only for now, but for eternity. And if you're here and you would repent of your sin and you would confess them as Lord of your life. You would say, listen, God, I repent of my sins and the ways I've walked as trying to be Lord of myself and I choose you today to be Lord of my life. Then you will receive eternal life and enter into a loving relationship that changes everything. If you're a believer and you've experienced that, say amen today so we know. Amen. If you've not experienced that but you long to be part of the amen this morning, you say, Jesus, I need you. I'm going to invite you right now to make a confession to the Lord by just simply lifting your hand. Again, this is not, I've said, this is for the first time you're saying, yes, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. Would you just lift up your hand? Say, yes, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior.
feel like there is truly somebody in here this morning. I've just sent this on my heart all day. There's somebody in here where you've wrestled with God. And God is just saying to you, it's time to come home. Like, we get it. You're the wrestler. You're the, you're the counter person. You're the, even in the argument, you pick the other side just because you want people to think. And he says, listen, this is not about other people. This is about your heart. This is about new life for you. And he says, listen, I'm here to bring hope for your future and healing for your past. And the moment is yours to say, none of these people are looking. This is not about them. This is about you and him. He's inviting you in a relationship where you would say, yes, Lord, I know not only that I'm secured in your love now, but I know that someday I'll be with you for eternity in heaven. If that's you, the Lord's calling you to boldness. I invite you as well. Would you just lift your hand and then put it back down? I want to pray for you this morning and then here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Pastor Barry is going to be at the end of service outside at the next step table and we have a Bible for you. We believe the Lord. We've been praying for you. We believe the Lord wants to continue to minister and we're going to pray in a second and though you've had to make this choice for yourself here in this moment, you don't have to walk the journey by yourself for another moment. We want to walk that with you because there's so much more that God wants to do. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. And then at the end of service, I just release you to go right outside to the next step table. It's the dark green table with the sign. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Let me pray, Lord God, I thank you that if anyone confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that you, Jesus Christ, have been raised from the dead, that they receive you as their Lord and Savior. We praise you in the mighty name of God for the work that you're doing right here in this place. And so I thank you, God. We just say, Jesus, we need you as our Lord and Savior. We confess of our sins. We recognize you as Lord over our life and receive the new life that comes from you in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Okay, here's my last response. We're going to enter a time of worship and a time of altar. And I, I really <laughs> I believe in altar, and here's why. I mean, he did vacuum this carpet really nice. He did an incredible job. The carpet here is not necessarily more holy than the carpet back there. But there's something where we activate our faith, where we engage physically in what God's doing spiritually. You know, in the, in, in the Old Testament, they'd go before the altar and they'd bring something to the Lord to offer to him. We live in a time where Jesus has been that offering for us. Amen? But there's a way that we participate sometimes just congregationally just as a part of our faith tradition where we come to the altar and we surrender and we say, God, I give you my heart and my life today and I surrender it to you. And the great thing is then we get up and we leave that altar space and we leave it there for him. So it's just a participatory thing. Lots of traditions do it differently, but this is how we do it. And so I wanna pray for you this morning that you might surrender to be renewed. If you've been in that space of feeling surrounded, of feeling distressed, of feeling weary, and you need to be renewed by the love of God, maybe you've been looking at your circumstances and you've just been frustrated and you need to surrender them to God to be renewed, then I'm gonna invite you in just a second to come to the altar and to pray, God, you are my fortress. Would you build my faith? Maybe for your kids, you just need to bring it to the Lord. Say, God, here are my children. I've been feeling frustrated and exhausted. I feel like the enemy's been speaking against me and saying things uh, about me as a parent or, or my legacy or whatever it might be. And I, I just need to bring them before you and say, God, they're yours. Would you move? Whatever it might be. I want to pray for you. Just bow your heads one last time, and then I'm going to release you to the altar. 
if that's you and you would say, God, I'm just distressed, weary. I need to be renewed. I need a greater revelation of your love. I need to run to you as my fortress this morning. I'm just coming to you, Lord. Would you lift your hands with me? I'm gonna pray with you this morning. God, I thank you. Just lift them up. Lift them up real time. No elbow bends, straight arms, straight to him, surrendering, practicing the presence together here. God, we give you everything in this place. We surrender our hearts to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask minister right now in this place. God, that we get a greater revelation of your love and in leaning on you as our fortress, that we'd experience more of who you are, that we get a greater outlook for what we're facing and that we'd be renewed in the race that we run with you, God. Build our faith. Build our faith in this space. God, as we come to the altar in just a moment, God, I pray for a true heart of surrender. It says, God, I give you everything. I'm not taking anything out with me other than you. I give you everything. I give you my worries, my fears. I give my uncertainties. I give my hurts and my pains. And I lay them at the altar at your feet, Jesus. And I receive the renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I just release you right now. Come to the altar and surrender to God and receive the renewing that comes to the Holy Spirit. Our prayer team will be up here to pray with you. But I just release you as the band plays. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.